Hello and welcome to Touchline from Casper Els and Mark Cameron. Hello, Mark. Hi, Cas. Nice being back in studio. Nice uh, being in studio talking all the autumn test matches and with our with our special guest tonight. Nice to know and to let him know that South Africa are back world number one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we welcome Mr. John Mitchell with us in studio tonight. Hello, John. Yeah, hi, Cass. Hi, Mark. Nice having you, and, and thanks for agreeing to this. And uh, with the time zones and that, so thanks for keeping us awake late night. Yes. <laughs> I, I, bet you your, I bet you your coffees are strong, eh? <laughs> Definitely <laughs> is. Definitely is. Yeah. Um, John, you played for Waikato um, as a club. You did, or you played 134 games, um, 86 as captain. Um, and then you played six games in a in an all black jersey, um, and then you coached all over the world. First of all, I want to ask you the question: um, playing in New Zealand, playing Waikato, um, how how did it come about that you actually chose rugby um, before any one of the other sports that you did play, and why Waikato specifically? Yeah, um, really interesting question. Like, um, mum was a really good basketballer. Um, she was also, she played for the North Island, my late mum, and she was a marching coach. Um, so, and the national champion in that particular um, ma you know, marching um, program that was quite common uh, way back. Um, and dad was obviously a, a sort of like a provincial basketballer. So my brother and I were just sort of taken along to tournaments. Um, and then when mum and dad were having their social time post the end of the end of the day, you know, like we had the run of the court with the other kids and we used to get whistled up and into a car and take it home for a bath if we were lucky. Uh, but we just couldn't wait to we couldn't wait to get back, you know, to play basketball the next day or waiting for that time out. And then um obviously I yeah, tried rugby like every New Zealand boy does. Um uh, but also, obviously, basketball was um, was quite intuitive for me. I think as a, as time progressed, whereas rugby, um, because I wasn't built for it um, and didn't play it as much as that as basketball, some of the sort of like the the harder skills were were, were a bit more challenging for myself. Until I sort of got primary school, made a representative team, um, but wasn't good enough to make the the top team. That was the first time I actually came across some All Blacks. Actually. Uh, Remember watching counties play Manoa two, um, and I think Brad Johnston may have broken his arm or something in the in the nineties. One of the nineteen nineteen seventy six tour was it? I think, and um, he was replaced by this massive prop from Auckland. I can't remember his name, but I remember walking past him as a as a twelve or thirteen year old boy, just going, "Geez, that is that guy is big." And then experienced that game, uh, and those two teams were top uh, top of New Zealand at the time. Man, or two in counties, and the, the, the rugby was just unbelievable. Um, they went to Francis Douglas uh, Memorial College in New Plymouth and was really fortunate to be have a deputy principal that was coaching Taranaki and who had, you know, Graham Murray and Dave Loveridge and these sort of guys used to come up to school and train. So they used to walk past us. And then my woodwork teacher was a uh, Brendan O'Neill was a former Taranaki rugby coach. Um, and then the British Lions came to school in 1977 to assembly I uh, still remember that um, but I was still pursuing this 
basketball career because the school and exam years wouldn't allow you to play two sports. So I had to make a choice. And then funny enough, um, the school probably in some ways recognised my talents and allowed me to play both sports in my last year, mainly around the persuasion of my mates that said, why don't you come back and play rugby? Um, and I did, and I had the most wonderful year at, at playing lock. Um, uh, played with people like um, the, the Barrett brothers, uh, Bowden and, you know, Geordie and um, Scott, their dad, uh, he was in the first 15 uh, as well. as He was a year younger than me. So, yeah, it just goes to show you it's a very small world. Um, and then just loved uh, that experience and then had representative basketball to, to, to still pursue, played National League, made New Zealand juniors, but still wanted to play rugby and my basketball coach saw a few little scars on me um, from rugby um, and obviously I, I couldn't tell him that I was playing rugby and in the end <laughs> uh, I just couldn't do both and had to make a choice and um, chose rugby um, and that all came about by shifting to Hamilton um, from a small little town called Tikwiti. Uh, I missed out on going to physical education school with my biology mark being so poor and um, hopped on my flatmate's scooter one day and, and rode to um, Fraser Tech and signed a membership form and that was that was when I was just turned 20 so it all went from there yeah. oh, Good, that's good uh, good that you had good mates that uh, introduced you to rugby so good to you <laughs> Good to you and yeah, no, I was, um, yeah, very very fortunate um, you know, I always say to, to young men these days and uh, um, you know, like you don't really have a, um, you know, you don't really have a chance to, or say in who comes past you, but it's amazing that there'll be somebody that comes past you in your life that has a, a major influence or a say, and, and um, you know, like sometimes you're aware of it and sometimes you're not. And um, I was just very, very fortunate that I, was influenced by some very good people during that period of my life that allowed me to go, Oof, I'll, I'll give this a go. And um, yeah, it's amazing what you put your mind to and, 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 and eventually something can happen. You had, you had quite a long um, career at Waikato, playing 134 games, um, and your, your scoring record actually speaks for itself. 134 games, you scored 335 points, um, 67 tries, um, mainly at number eight. Tell us a bit about your, your, your time at Waikato, um, being captain um, and spending that amount of time there. Yeah, um, actually, you probably can see in the, in the video, uh, uh, it's probably not the right terminology, you can probably see the number eight behind us yes, here. Yes, I can see it, yeah. Um, uh, my wife, Julie, and us, when we were in Durban, uh, one one day we went to go and get some furniture and somewhere and um, uh, just happened to see that number uh, in the store. I can't remember the store actually. And uh, I said, we need to buy that because um, uh, it's like, uh, it just has, brings back so many memories yeah. yes. um, and, and memories of good times. And also it reflects also the, uh, the factors that you had to show resilience, um, you know, and uh, and get through a number of injuries and setbacks as well. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't all plain sailing. Yeah. There's a few bones broken and noses broken and eyes poked and stuff like that that um, required surgeries and bits and pieces. But yeah, and then there was the the odd dropping from coaches and stuff. So, um, uh, but yeah, I was very fortunate that I 
played with a group of players, you know, like you know Warren Gatlin and um, Ian Foster, who are current, you know, like international coaches, and you still got Tom Coventry, who's coaching the Blues. Um, uh, there was Rob Gordon, who was a, an All Black earlier than myself, that was uh, in competition. Um, there was, you know, guys like Brent Anderson and um, Steve Gordon. Um, and there was a guy, Dwayne Monkley, that played for Western Province way back um, as well, who never became an All Black, um, who was just an unbelievable player. Um, Matthew Cooper in our backs, um, the, the two Cooper boys, one was at Otago and he, he was the centre. Um, yeah, so we, but we were always a, um, competing with Auckland during that decade. Uh, they always set the standard and we, we just had to become a group that if we really wanted to become champions in New Zealand, we had to surpass that, that standard. They set it, uh, we chased it and eventually got them. Um, but amongst that, we had huge rivalry with Otago, who were quite exceptional during that period as well. Um, and you just lived in an era where there was probably five outstanding number eights that could have possibly played for New Zealand. And um, I guess I was with a guy that had a go at New Zealand juniors at 19. Um, going on 20, missed out, having already started my first class career. I was a bit disappointed. My fa- I came home with my father kind of seen my disappointment and just said, look, you know, just remember it's only one man's opinion. You know, nine years later, I became an All Black. Um, loved every moment of it. Um, and I think I only really re- went because of, of leadership and, the, and our team's success. And um, I came home with joy and happiness and wanting more of it. And my father has still remained to say, just remember it's one man's opinion. So, uh, um, yeah, that's always stuck in my mind and something that I use with the uh, with even players these days when I'm, you know, have, have been the head coach in terms of dealing with selection. It's really only one man's opinion. And sometimes it's based on facts. You know, sometimes it's definitely obvious that a player loses form, but also there's times where you just got to just tell the player, look, hey, this is a really tight call and I've made a gut feeling on what I think is right for the team this weekend. Talking about um, being an All Black, tell us a bit about the 1993 tour to, to Britain. Um, yeah, I, I had to wait two weeks. I remember being named. Um, we had just, uh, we were national champions. We had the Ranfilly Shield um, wrapped away um, with the last defence. And we were going into a semi-final um, against um, Otago, I think it was, that we... Um, and that night they were naming the All, All Blacks for Britain. I sort of really had no expectations. Um, a number of other players in our group did. And then in those days, and they, I'm not sure if they did the same thing, but they named the team in alphabetical, alphabetical order. I had a beer in my hand just talking to my coaches and thinking about how we're going to have to get up again um, after giving so much um, and how we go about preparing the week. Um, we we're just chatting quietly, and then all of a sudden the TV came on. My my name was uh, named, um, much to my surprise. Um, and then we had, you know, like um, a fair bit of training to do prior to even hopping onto the plane. Um, Laurie Maines was a, t- a pretty tough taskmaster in those days, um, but yeah, like he certainly um, built the basics and built a built a really uh, yeah huge. Um, running capacity uh, as well. 
Um, so yeah, it took me a lot of work and um, yeah, it took two weeks before we even hopped on an aeroplane. Um, and then I had to wait for my the second game, I think, to to get a start. Um, and that was in Leicester of all places in uh, pouring rain. Um, I still remember getting my jersey from the manager and bought some socks and going back to my room and just putting it over the over the couch, just and looking at it, just saying, "Look, you know, I'm representing you know, three and a half million people to, to, today." So I probably put a put a lot of pressure on myself to uh, on that um, to not necessarily play well, but to make sure I didn't lose in the All Black jersey. I think there's more fear in terms of losing than worrying about your performance and once I sort of got over that first hurdle, which wasn't a great game, um, but we had to dig deep, and I think we won nine six. And um, yeah, from then onwards, I think I sort of like enjoyed the tour from a from a performance point of view because I I sort of just looked at myself in the mirror and just said, look, you know, like I'm um, you know almost thirty years of age and um, pretty experienced, so uh, I get on with it and um, and and, uh, and enjoy it. Um. I was never going to get. I was never going to get a test. You know, like Zim Zambrook was always the superior number eight, um, and Aaron Penne, they were the test number eight. So I, I, the only reason I think I went on tour, as I said previously, is that um, Zinni wasn't having his usual year and in, in uh, playing for Auckland, and they moved him to the side to try and get some form back. Um, so yeah, I was a long shot uh, for the '95 World Cup. It became pretty evident after that tour that I was really probably only there for leadership because I went to Argentina after that and and led a group to to Argentina. Um, and yeah, like I was just grateful to have experienced you know uh, playing and captaining in the All Blacks. And um, I guess you know the previous tour to Australia, the midweek side didn't didn't meet the standards that normal All Black sides um, do, and we. You know, just sent a meant, um, I guess, uh, we set a standard that we, or a goal that we wanted to not, you know, go through that tour unbeaten um, and just wanted to promote guys to the test team and prepare really well for that. Um, that we did. Um, and yeah, like, like, like I said before, once you get a taste of it, you want to, you want to have another taste. Yeah. Um, little did I know I was going get, to get a taste as a, as an all black coach in, in, in later years. Talking, talking about coaching now, um, you actually started off as a, as a technical advisor um, slash forwards coach um, in 1996, and then your career just grew from there um, all over the world, and you've, you've basically done it all as a coach. Um, tell us how this technical advisor come forward coach um, materialized. Um. I ended up, I was a quantity surveyor for 11 years um, during that playing stage, and I only really played um, one year of professional rugby was with Sale in uh, 1996-97 season. That was kind of like the first year of professional rugby up here. Um, but before that, I co-coached sort of my club side of Fraser Tech with um, a guy called um, Lance, uh, Lance Harris, and we won two Waikato Rugby Championships. I mean, I had no ambitions to be a coach at that point uh, prior to him and him and I having a conversation. Um, yeah, like I'd, I was at a stage where my family was young. Uh, I had a quantity surveying career. I didn't see a, really a, a 
like a, a future that would uh, give you shelter and uh, and food for your family um, at that point. Um, so I thought, well, you know, like I've achieved everything I possibly could. I don't think I can get get much more out of myself. So trying, you know, chance to start a new chapter. And as it turned out, um, I gave the coaching thing a go, um, and I think it was the next best thing to possibly playing and, and in those days it was more you know like I had a huge extensive running base with um, you know, strong basics and um, and you know, obviously you know like you just basically had to initiate a, the the physicality early and you could generally put teams away early and, and hold on um, so yeah, I, I just think I got a taste of success and then I wanted to do, do more of it. Um, and then it became a chance to earn a living. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, but yeah, I came from a, a background of loyalty to your rugby club, um, loyalty to your, to your provincial team, you know, very tribal, um, not to think that, you know, uh, that professional rugby would would be the, the opposite to that. You know, like it's about performance, it's about results. Um, and you, you know, ultimately, end of the day, um, you, you're not going to be able to, to be able to, you know, be there for the for the length of time that, it, that I experienced with teams as, as an amateur. Um. Coaching all over the world now, coaching in, in, in basically uh, four different continents. I mean, it's New Zealand, well, New Zealand, Australia, America, South Africa, and then um, in Europe. Is there is there a big difference between the, the different continents, the way they approach the game, uh, the way they play the game, and the way they see you coach those specific players? Um, I think initially when you, when you first start out, yeah, you've got a particular... Um, way that you that you believe in that I, I guess you're only built on certain references at that point um, and then um, you um, you then obviously um, try and give that a go because that's what you what you know uh, but it's you, you quickly pick up that you've got to realize that there are cultural idiosyncrasies and stuff that yes. that that represent people from those communities, and you're and you're stupid. Yeah, you know, like if you don't um, become aware of those and use those as as, as strengths. Um, and then I think the the more you're in it as well, you then realise sometimes you can't play the the way that you actually want to play. Um, so it's really based on the strengths of your of your team. Um, that's going to allow you to to get a result. So. Um, that's yeah, uh, probably the the simple way that that like I had a way that I wanted to coach when I was um, and play I should say when I started off coaching, and probably over time have learned you know that um, it's really based on uh, the strengths that you have, um, and it's really important to understand the cultural and the community aspects that make that um, that, that that group strong. Mitch, if I can just come in there quickly and ask, um, I spoke about wherever you've coached all over the world, um, and not to be negative to a specific area in the world, but where was it that you found it easier or more enjoyable to coach 
And then the flip to that is um, where did you enjoy it least? And if you can maybe say why. Um, just for different mm. cultures, obviously, there's different things that you as a coach need to need to learn and adapt to, obviously. So, Yeah, I think I, think I really enjoyed my South African experience because, um, one, the boys will work hard for you, uh, but two, it's a rugby country. Um, it loves its rugby, you know, like it's, you know, it's, it's just built on, on rugby. Um, you know, the, you just love the way the fans, you know, like are so loyal to their, the, to their provinces and stuff. Um, so I was lucky enough to experience it. I know it's a little bit different now. Um, you know, the way the crowds are and the, you know, um, and the, I guess the younger players playing at Curry Cup level and stuff. But you know, to to have that experience was 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 awesome. Um, I think the most, the more ch the more challenging experience was in Australia, being an inaugural coach, developing a a brand new rugby club. You know, with seven professionals out of out of forty five, you know, trying to coexist within a, in a AFL state that had two teams that whether they're on the top of the log or the bottom of the log, they they still get forty five thousand people. So to coexist and educate people about, you know, um, you know, first class rugby in, in that province was challenging, and 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 Australians you know, treat rugby you know, quite differently to to, uh, to to South Africa or New Zealand and, and England. You know, like it's um, it's a sport that competes uh, with five other kind of sports, um, and yeah, and it's a small playing population as well. Mitch, if I can also just ask this question then, um, obviously for for many years in your career, you were a head coach of a specific province or a national side or so, um, but you also, in between all of that, you've gone from a head coach of a team to another province or another team and you are an assistant coach, like you are at Wasps now. How difficult is it for you as a coach um, or other coaches out there that might follow suit to adapt between being a head coach and then going as an assistant coach to someone else where they basically take charge. I suppose if you go from a national national level to a provincial level or club level, it's slightly different though. But is it difficult to adapt and to, to start focusing on different aspects of the game? Yeah, firstly, um, it's a mindset thing. You've got to... Um, I think you've got to still think like a head coach, but you've got to fill the cracks for for the head coach uh, where possible. I think with um, the way the complexities of the game and the way the game's become a you know so many different contests, so you're starting to see larger coaching groups um, that are that are specialising, and so therefore I think there's a real need for a senior assistant amongst a lot of the, some of these younger coaches that are coming up as well and. Um, yeah, like um, I think when I took over the Chiefs in in two thousand uh, and one, um, I actually took on Kevin Green. My uh, when I look back now, um, as a really young coach, um, thirty four, thirty five, or whatever it was, thirty six, um, and he was my coach for eight years. He was my provincial coach. Um, I, you know, I was his captain, um, so. Um, and he was my club coach, so to me, I look back on that, and it's great to have, always great to have an older head 
uh, around within your coaching group. So yeah, you can still think like a head coach um, and you can help mentor younger coaches, not only just the head coach um, and for those cracks, you can actually help the younger coaches that are within the, within the coaching group. Um, Cause you know, there's plenty of movies that you've seen, um, plenty of mistakes that you've made. Um, and yeah, like you with those sort of situations that I have experienced, it's uh, good or bad. You, you can actually, um, when those other coaches experience situations or are looking for solutions in particular areas um, or the head coach, then you're able to, you're able to, you know, present some, you know, some, um, an opinion that's often can be backed up by, by the experience, or you go and look at the current evidence to be able to, to help the, you know, make good decisions for the team. And then just on that, now, I mean, you were head coach of New Zealand, you were head coach of the USA Eagles, um, and then the latter part of your career now, before joining Wasp, obviously you were assistant coach to, to Eddie Jones and in, in the England squad. Um, <clears throat> sorry, for so so the same the same question there basically, and and maybe you'll probably give the same type of answer, but we're talking New Zealand head coach. Um, I mean that is one of the teams, one of the best uh, nations that have ever produced rugby rugby playing teams, and that to go to a top class nation like England now as well as an assistant. Um, would you, would you, as an established coach then, get more responsibility than another assistant? Or would a guy like, uh, uh, I don't want to bring him into it now specifically now, but a guy like Eddie Jones, would he look at your expertise as well as a previous head coach? Or are you basically only there to perform whatever your functions are that you've got? Um, it's like anything, you know, once the relationship is built uh, through trust, um, you know, when you go through your tougher times or your or your topics where uh, them as a head coach think that's you know worth a private conversation with you mm. um, then you know, you go out of your way or you see something that you think's an issue or uh, you've observed something that um, that you know, like uh, you're just, like a little bit worried about or that you know, you You've got a what if that you don't think that's been discussed, or whatever. Then, you know, you can can go to them and um, and they can they can deal with it. Mm. Uh, but at least you've gone there, like um, and and shared that and been open with that. So it's it's kind of like two ways. Um, and like anything, it's probably you've got to go there first um, and connect and take the higher ground. Because that's what what builds the trust, and then as a result of that, then they, then over time they they confide in you um, uh, naturally under pressure, and and certainly in areas where they think that you've got you've got you know vast knowledge to be able to pass on. Thank you for that, um, John. If we can move on to to the games of this weekend, um, if we can talk about the New Zealand game. Um, New Zealand losing to, to Ireland over the weekend. Um, I just saw an interesting stat today that um, 12 of the, the starting 15 are Leicester, Leicester players. And the article was all, all about Leicester doing so well in the, in the local leagues. Um, and the reason why they're doing so well is because they've got that quality of players that Ireland can actually select 12 of those players in the, in the starting lineup and then 
going on to to beat New Zealand. Um, your thoughts on that game? Yeah, um, having watched it, uh, watched it back, um, just yeah, yeah, Ireland were able to generate a lot of a lot of quick ruck ruck ball, um, and they yeah they they carried and won won the game line um, as a result of that. And that just put you know the kind of like the first five defenders of New Zealand under under constant pressure. You haven't seen the All Blacks for a while really, you know, um, get done on the inside shoulders, you know, like uh, close to the ruck. Um, so yeah, that at that um, that was uh, you know it was great by Ireland, yeah, like in, in that sense, and they kept it they kept the pressure on for a long period. But you know, like at at twenty ten. 2010, and then New Zealand getting a try, a try just allowed. You just you sort of felt that you know, like they just really only if they get if they get a try here, there's every chance of them um, pulling it off. Um, that wasn't to be the case. Um, so you know, Ireland deserved it deserved their win, but you know, like it came down to you know, Ireland had to win that game almost three times, possibly four times, you know, to get the results. That just shows you how tough, even when New Zealand weren't probably. You know, you know, physically, um, you know, didn't physically set the tone um, as you as you would ex- expect. You know, no excuses, um, but you know, they uh, they've you know, been away in long bubbles for a long time. So there's always a a chance that you're going to be possibly flat at some point. Um, but they'll be they wouldn't use it in a, as an excuse. They will be, uh, um, you know. Definitely disappointed with that, but you know, I think the maturity of the group and the way that they managed and coached now that you know they'll definitely get, get a response. Uh, they'll definitely respond against France, but it's, that'll be a tough, tough test. Well, playing playing fourteen games now this year, they've only lost two: one against South Africa, another one against Ireland. And if you go look at the scores that they've put up against all the other teams, it's actually it's it's big scores. It's not that they. They just won a game, or they um, sort of were there or thereabouts. They they actually won the games convincingly, and they've only lost the two out of fourteen now. So, I mean, they stole the team to beat. Yeah, no, they're a phenomenal team. They're progressing nicely to the World Cup. Clearly, they'll be disappointed that Ireland took away their power in the box. You know, still demonstrate um, to take away, or or they. I, I guess what what I should say is that New Zealand. Um, probably struggling against teams that have got a bit more power, um, and and that and nullify their forward pack. But you know, um, yeah, their forward pack is is making some gains. Um, so they'll they'll be happy with that progress getting um, towards the World, World Cup. Um, it's probably a good sign that they're having a few getting some learnings as well because you know, like they normally go to World Cups, don't they, um, in a pretty good state um, through this period. But the gap closes, as we as we know, when we get, when you go to World Cups, um, yeah, you can't just rely on catch and pass um, and wonderful edge skills and stuff. Uh, the the pressure the pressure changes, and and we're we're seeing an an attacking cycle at the moment as well in the game um, with the ruck speed. You know, their 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 ruck speed has been unbelievable in those. In those 14 games up in uh, maybe Ireland's was superior on the weekend, uh, 
but the thing is that you know you'll probably see that the, the defensive cycle um, definitely kick back in in the World Cup year. Yes. Um, so yeah, they uh, but they definitely like to finish on the weekend against France. I think with a with a victory. I mean, it's not too many All Black sides that that uh, lose two in a row um, in their uh, in their in their in their history. So, Mitch, if we can just move on to that one while we're talking about the France-New Zealand game. Um, obviously, the French are are riding a, a decent wave at the moment. They, they've, they've blooded a few youngsters. They, they believe in themselves. Um, I mean, their, their number nine, Pont, is, is one of the better nines in the world and he's just been nominated as World Player of the Year. Um, playing France in France, is, I won't say it's, it's never easy, but you never know who's going to climb off the bus. Um, but the French are up on the high at the moment and obviously preparing for for the World Cup in 2023 there by them. Um, and rightfully, as you just said, New Zealand don't often lose two in a row. Do you think there's a few changes that needs to be made because they're playing the French and possibly because they've lost and the French could have seen, obviously, putting pressure on New Zealand as, as possibly a way out to, to, to try and nullify their, their attacking game because the French also attack quite well. Yeah. Or do you think New Zealand will just go about their game like they normally do? Obviously, they're highly professional. Um, I was actually surprised, when I say I was surprised that they lost, um, if you look at position and territory, it's, it's a feather in New Zealand's cap that they only lost by nine points. Um, but traditionally, you know, if New Zealand trail by nine points with five points, minutes left in the game, they'll back they, themselves to win. Um, but credit to Ireland as it may. But as I said, moving on to France now, do you think um, New Zealand will have to tweak something to to pull one over? Um, yeah, the French and the Gaultier and um, Sean Edwards, they, they're a lot more pragmatic. Um, they, they're, they're probably running a little bit more, um, whether they go to a long kicking game uh, against New Zealand, which is um, which was was something that worked quite successfully for them um, in the last Six Nations and um, and autumn, the previous autumn. Uh, yeah, Dupont's world class. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether they go to a pragmatic kicking game and put New Zealand into a, you know a cycle that um, forces them to. Um, Forces them to stay in that or counter from counter from deep, uh, which could could create trouble uh, for them. So um, yeah, it's be interesting to see what France do. Um, the uh, the All Blacks, I think, you know, I think they're still possibly looking at them. They're not quite certain who their back row is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a you know, Adi Severe at eight. You know, um, the presence of Sam uh, Sam Kane when he's at his best in the, in the breakdown. Um, you know, they've got some very good developing players, but I think they need need that need that presence. And you know, New Zealand's always been built on on an outstanding open side flanker, um, and uh, and a very a very aggressive number eight, and and a, and a very strong ball running ball running six. So. Yeah, New Zealand's uh, the selectors are probably still, I reckon, probably quite challenged in that area. 
And then obviously they, they've lost Bowden Barrett, haven't they, with a bit of uh, HOA on the weekend yeah. and and Leonard said obviously the midfield will um, midfield selection will be be important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like they got such depth, haven't they? So it's um, whoever they bring in, they'll they'll still. Uh, they'll still yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that test match. I think it'll be a, a really good one to watch. So, so obviously, uh, being a Kiwi, but other than that, knowing your rugby, you definitely backing New Zealand to to take this one. Um, no, I mean, um, I want them to. Yeah, like, uh, my heart, <laughs> Sorry, I had uh, to put you under pressure. <laughs> um, but my head, uh, my head tells me that yeah, like I know a fair bit about France as well. Yeah. Having played quite a few test matches over against them recently. Um, and yeah, they're they're a good side, and and to me, um, they they're a side to watch watch out. They they potentially, you know, could be the 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 team to watch in in, in the World Cup two thousand twenty three. No, and I agree with you. I think I think the days of of them possibly not climbing off the bus is gone. Yeah. More often than not, they they put two or three or four good tests together in a row, uh, whereas in the past, you know, it's one game good, next game not too, not too good, and then they fall out the bus. But I think it definitely has changed. Uh, Mitch, if we can then just move on quickly to uh, your your previous uh, coaching stint at, at England. Um, obviously, the boys played against the, the Wallabies on the weekend. Um, what do you think went wrong for, for the Wallabies in that specific game? And then obviously you know the the English guys um, very well because you were with them up until this year. Um, obviously they they have always been very professional and obviously under under Eddie Jones as well. He he also doesn't take nonsense from anyone and he wants certain things done. But they have been there and there about all along. I mean by by beating the Wallabies on the weekend, they've now gone to world number three again. And uh, you know the test match coming on Saturday against us is going to be a repeat of the of last year's. Uh, I mean, two years ago's World World Cup final. But what do you, as I said, what do you think went wrong for the Wallabies, and and what worked for for England on Saturday? Yeah, I think um, first I think I think um, having watched that back, I didn't get to see it live. Uh, but um, yeah, England's first half, you, you saw some real glimpses of uh, the. Progress that they're trying to make in attack. Um, you know, the first try you know, w- was was good. Um, a, um, good aggressive attack. Um, some straightness. You know, putting you know Marcus putting people uh, in a hole early. Um, short short passing. And yeah, that that was a good example. Then in the second half, they got a bit clunky, um, bit of cross field and. Um, look like a team that's still still trying to come come to get come together, um, and then the lineout sort of also um, dropped off in terms of delivery. Uh, but yeah, you know, the traditional strengths of England were def- definitely definitely pre- present um, in the in, in the first half, um, and obviously got quite a fast fast bench with the six two mix. Um, which see Sam Simmons get a chance, um, and Don Brands is uh, is a player that can break break a line. So there's definitely uh, yeah you know, like a, a good mix uh, of youth and experience within that group. Uh, and England is trying to grow their attack. Uh, 
Uh, and then the Wallabies, these are aggressive at the breakdown, weren't they? Um, they uh, certainly um, uh, went, went for it in that area. They they were just weren't clinical enough, were they? Um, and just didn't dominate the 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 gain line, you know, like a, an attack to present themselves, um, you know, opportunities. Uh, so they they look a little bit thin. They look a little bit inexperienced um, and young. So but they'll probably better for that experience. A lot of boys haven't uh, played at Twickenham before. Um, so yeah, they look like a team that's uh, quite thin at the moment and on the end of a end of a you know like a, a long season. Yeah, I see. Uh, Dave Rennie is under a bit of pressure now because they say if they don't beat Wales on on Saturday, it would be the first time that they've lost all their games in the Autumn Nations yes. Test for many a year. So I think a decade or or two. So it's uh, they under obviously quite a bit of pressure. Um, then I just wanted to ask as well with regards to South Africa. Uh, obviously, we're playing we're playing England on the weekend. But before we go to all of that, what do you take of all the negative talk with regards to South Africa and their game plan and 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 what they're actually doing compared to if you if you had to look at New Zealand Ireland now on the weekend? I mean, it's like chalk and cheese looking at South Africa playing in those two nations. What is your take on it as a coach? Obviously, one wants to play ball in hand and, and nice, exciting, exciting football. But uh, do you go back to your strength, and, and as long as you win, that's the, what matters. Or what is your take on it? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to approach it. Um, so Africa, they've they, um, you know, the coaches and the playing group haven't fallen under the trap of trying to be somebody else. They are playing. Playing to their strengths, you know, they they're, and they're pragmatic. You know, they don't get momentum, then they'll they'll put you into an aerial contest, and um, you know, like, and they'll just make you stay in that cycle in that episode until they until they get something. Um, so they're extremely disciplined in the way that they trust they trust their game uh, and they trust their game cycle, and they're prepared to stay in. And you know, like that's what I admire. I, I, I really enjoy their tactical discipline, um, and the and the fact is that the, the cohesion of you know the the starters know what they've got to present, and sometimes it doesn't quite get uh, get go for them, and then the you know the the finishers come on, and again they're just so so they have such belief in the in that they'll they know that at times the game will disappoint you, um, and they're prepared to. Win the game three, three times, four times, um, and they'll just stay stay pragmatic. So when they get behind the scoreboard, they don't get seduced and trying to overplay in the middle of the field. And and the thing is, yeah, they they just make good decisions. I reckon around when when is it time to kick, when is it time to run, um, and they and I think the the balance of those decisions are. Uh, are, are good by them um, currently. Again, you know, like the physical toll, and the, you got to you got to take your hat off on them. They've been in more bubbles than than anyone this uh, this year, and um, yes. you know, whoever's conditioning them and whoever's managing them, in, in terms of um, uh, is doing a good job because you know, like, uh, there's not too many weekends they haven't turned up and. And being brutally mm. honest with uh, with teams and 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 honest uh, in the way that they play, 
You were you were alluding now to the pressure that they put on other, uh, um, the opposition. Do you think it's that pressure that made um, Scotland uh, lose their, their their handling skills and the ball's not going to hand, and and more often than not the ball ending up in in no man's land? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they they're, they're probably the you know one of the you know the, one of the better teams, and the reason why they're at number one is that they're able to compound pressure on uh, on the opposition. So, you know, if they hand over the ball early, um, then they'll back their inside pressure defensively to to um, to nail the nail the gain line and force you to, to to kick the ball back. What do you get? You know, you get a line out, or you or you or you'll get counter attack, and again they'll have a crack and if they don't get momentum then they'll stay in that cycle and continue to compound pressure on you um, so yeah they're masters at, at compounding the pressure so I think the um, the interesting thing for us is that you know Eddie's a, a very good tactical coach so it'll be interesting to see what um, what tactics he uh, and his team deployed this weekend to to be able to um, take South Africa out of their comfort zone in, in that in that area, because you know it's pretty clear what South Africa is going to do, um, as we've spoken about. So we, uh, I'm really going to be interested in this test match from a tactical point of view to see how um, you know whether England take them on with with power. If England try and just take them on with power, I don't think they, I don't think they you know, are the same team as the World Cup side of 2019 in terms of power. So um, you know England, I think will. Definitely see some more growth in their attack, and eventually see how they try and break down, uh, break down the box this weekend. Um, so, so Mitch, if we talk about that, uh, you're talking about the, the 2019 World Cup. Obviously, um, Matty Proudfoot was was part of the Springbok coaching setup. Is now part of the English setup. Do you think he will have a massive, will make a massive difference in in this week's uh, Test match? Obviously, from a from a Knowing a South African point of view and whatever he brings to the England side, oh, Eddie um, and the team will value his South African, South African perspective. Uh, but you know, I think many will be just uh, concentrating on scrums uh, this weekend. Um, and uh, yeah, um, it, you know, the game moves on as well. Yeah. Once you depart from teams, so um, yeah. Um, but his yeah, like his experience and his. No house this first time. I think he's um, facing his country uh, yeah. since uh, since that World Cup. So it'll be quite an emotional day for him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like it's um, as much as people try and try and deflect it and think that they can control it. It's um, you know, when it's been a big part of your heart. It'll, it'll be a big day for for, for Matt. And, yeah, and you um, speaking also of nice day as well. Yeah, you're speaking of, of experience, so so one can one can definitely. <laughs> And I said, you're speaking Sorry. from experience, obviously facing yeah. New Zealand and all of that in your past. Uh, just a, a last question on, on the South African-England test match on the weekend. I see, um, obviously, England have lost uh, two two players for, for this weekend, but the one that stands out is Owen oh, Farrell. Um, what, a, what big difference will he make by not being there? Obviously, his presence, I mean, he's, he, he defends well. Um, but his leadership in that would that would that have a, a a big impact in in the game or preparation thereof? Um, yeah, Owen's a um, an integral part of the team. He's a 
uh, he's just a, a real competitor. Um, you know, sets a sets a standard in terms of the, you know, the physicality and the and the clearness around around the physicality. So he's superb for that, and he's got a he trusts his skill set. Like he's got a you know a skill set that works for him. Um, he doesn't need to be a, a flashy, fly, um, you know, fly half or second five eight um, that that distributes. You know, like he. Um, He's got he's got really good tactical kicking strengths. Um, he's he's aggressive in his defence, um, and yeah, he's a competitor, uh, and he's he stands in he stands in front of the group and and um, he doesn't ask uh, anything from the players any different in terms of what he what he will give. Um, but he's also surrounded by by some good experience as well, which is. Uh, uh, which is good, but he, he like he's just yeah like he, you've got to admire him as a competitor. Um, John, just the last question from my side. Um, playing England now in this test and knowing that England is gonna gonna come and try and redeem themselves in this in this test match, do you think that Jock Ninaba and um, our newly appointed Waterboy? Will go the same route as what they did in the in the World Cup final and change the game plan completely. Could do. Um, it's like I said. I said that it's um, going to be really interested in in the tactics. You like the one would think that South Africa will continue to be pragmatic. pragmatic. Um, so the uh, it might be and one's thinking that the the tactical surprises will probably come from England. Um, but who knows? You know, like um, you know, uh, last test, um, you know, do do the do the box change change anything up? Um, you know, or do they just you know like just yeah. empty the tank? You know, like and continue yeah. to be pra- pragmatic. Um, again, they're missing some key personnel as well. Um, but you know, at the moment they they, they look very cohesive and they're, they're growing their depth and. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting test match again. As I said, uh, tactically, who brings that that tactical surprise? Um, yeah, it will be will be interesting. Um, Mitch, before we move on, I just want to ask you this question: Your prediction for for the England South African game? Um, yeah, I think I think it'll be a real t- I think it'll be a real tight one, mate. Um, guys, I think it'll. Uh, <laughs> I think it'll be twenty something like twenty one seventeen to uh, to England. Really, oh, England? <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. We'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah, now you. Okay, yeah, I'll, to, I'll WhatsApp. I'll, I'll, I'll WhatsApp you next week, popular, right? <laughs> I won't. I won't. I know there won't be a very popular score. Though, but, um, yeah, nah, it's it, fun. No, well, that's hundred percent. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> let's. It's um, yeah, England. England rugby has been a big part of my life. Yeah, you know, yeah, part of my. All black life and um, you know, New Zealand life and and South African life, but yeah, like um, it's you know had a lot of tests with England over a period of time, you know. So for me, it's um, and sort of know what the guys put in and know what the guys have experienced in terms of disappointment in the in the last Six Nations. So for me, it's um, yeah, really looking forward to seeing um, seeing how they how they do respond. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a humdinger. And then there's just the last one, the, the Wales-Australian game. How do you see that one going? You both, have, both haven't been great, have they, in this autumn series, so it'll be the one that holds their nerve, the one that continues to back um, and trust what they what they have. Um, you'd like to think that the Wales will will get up at home, but you know, like um, Australia, yeah, like you said, are desperate if, if there's been pressure put on, um, then they'll be they'll be desperate. So it'll be it'll be a, a bit full of tension, I think. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, uh, but I think the from a from a keeping ball in hand perspective, the New Zealand France game is going to be a classic. Um, and then, obviously, I think that the chess game would probably be the South Africa-England game. So it's definitely definitely the rugby that one needs to be focused on this weekend. And, yeah, as you said, looking forward to that one. I think each one of these teams have got something to prove. New Zealand okay. coming, coming off a loss. Yeah, yeah. England having a, a score to settle with South Africa. And then Australia, Wales, both of them didn't feature too well in the last couple of tests. So I think everybody here has got something to prove. No, yeah, there's always a motivation, isn't there? Like um, for, for uh, in every every situation for each team, I guess it's, uh, it just comes down to, uh, yeah, it comes down to who sets the tone. Um, yeah, who's got, who's got good leadership, you know, as a result of that motivation. Um, and then clearly, you know, who pays attention to the, to the right detail um, but, yeah, like, this rugby is brutal, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, it's a brutal, Def- and it's full of a lot of different contests. So, uh, Definitely is. You know, you've got teams finishing their season, and you've got teams that w- are wanting to finish the autumn series to be able yeah. to um, be able to move into their Six Nations, which is just around the corner. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, the box, the box and... Uh, the English, they all finish uh, the Autumn Nations test and they go back into the United Nations Championships. Yes. Uh, that starts next weekend again. So, obviously, the international players will in all probability get a week or two off, depending on, on how they do it. Uh, Mitch, just quickly in closing, um, I don't know if you've had a look at the Player of the Year nominations from World Rugby. Um, Antoine... Dupont from France, Mauro Toji from England, and then Michael Hooper and Samu Karevi from Australia are the four nominees. Um, the reason why I'm bringing, well, firstly, congratulations to them and, and may the best man win there. Um, but the reason why I'm bringing it up and speaking to you specifically from a New Zealand point of view and obviously we South African point of view, um, it's a bit odd not to see the two best teams in the world currently on ranking not to have any players there, firstly. And I think, secondly, if my, if my memory serves me correct, I think it's the first time since 2001 that no New Zealander or South African players have actually featured in that. What is your take on that? Um, yeah, one, I have studied closely, but it does seem strange that there is not you know, somebody... Um, yeah, from the Springboks or, or the All Blacks. I mean, um, Jason Kobe, yeah, he springs to mind. Um, you know, Beth de Klerk, yeah, and, yeah, you've just, there's been a wonderful Lions series that, 
that's won by the Springboks. Um, you know, they've, they've beat, beat New Zealand. Uh, yeah, like Pimpy's another, you know, Lucas Arm. Uh, so yeah, like there's you're like there's so many that, so many people can get selected in those things. It, it's uh, and then you got yeah, Richie no no Richie Moana. Like, that, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Like the guy has been an outstanding yeah. you know fly half and and hugely influential uh, player. Um, so yeah, it's, it seems very strange. Well, any one um, of the Barrett brothers. It, yeah, um, the individual. Yeah, Jordy Barrett said a yeah. Had a had a good year as well. Um, I mean, even so, Artie yeah, Sevilla has uh, had yeah. a good year. Yeah, Artie, yeah, you know, like, um, yeah, you you probably, I mean, you can open up a can of worms because we just don't understand the criteria, do we? Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. If we understood the criteria, maybe if, maybe if the criteria was uh, um, to be extraordinary, um, if that was actually understood, then 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 we're yeah. able to judge, but. Um, it does seem strange that it's, uh, uh, yeah, and that's not taking away the guys that are that have been selected. I no, mean, no, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Maro is one of the most destructive locks in the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Estevez has been also outstanding, hasn't he? Would it be nice yeah. to see the two of them up against each other in the? Oof. And that yeah. that would have been. It's going to be colossal. <laughs> yeah, it? it's going to. And they should have announced the the. The players of the year after that specific clash on Saturday, I think that would have been great to see the two of them at each other. Um, then just quickly uh, in finishing with the, with the world rankings that have changed a little bit over the weekend, obviously going into last weekend's games, New Zealand was a point three uh, ahead of uh, South Africa, but obviously because they lost and, and South Africa won, South Africa have now gone back to world number one on 91.83 and then New Zealand is sitting on 90.02. England have now leapfrogged the Wallabies, are back in third position at 86.61. Ireland, obviously, after beating New Zealand, have gone up to fourth place, and the Wallabies have gone down to fifth place. Um, it is so close between South Africa and New Zealand. I, I suppose if, if South Africa lose this weekend against, against England and New Zealand beat France... Then the tables might turn again. Um, isn't it good for rugby? And I take these two nations specifically now because they're the top two and reasonably far ahead of of England. That's on eighty six. Isn't it good for rugby that it's that it's more competitive in your world rankings, like it has been in the past when New Zealand was so dominant um, in keeping the world ranking first world. Uh, First place. Play first place for so many years. Do you think it's good for, for rugby in general that it is so close and it could change in every game? Um, I mean, it's certainly probably been an indicator of uh, of, of those two teams' um, consistent performance over the last, you know, since, since the World Cup. Um, but also there's a lot, uh, you, know, hit, you know, the Springboks have only really played a lot of rugby this year. Yeah. Um, and so it's great, great to see I've never really fully understood the the world rankings. It almost looks like um, some currency because uh, uh, <laughs> right. yeah. um, there's yeah, there's been some strange situations yeah. where where teams have been number one in the world for a period of time and then somebody somebody jumps them. But um, but yeah, like based on the year, um, yeah, you would think that that um, South Africa and New Zealand would be 
would be floating, yeah. you know, somewhere near the top, and it's just a, a you know, like um, this just just demonstrates the success that they've that, um, delivered this year. You, know, you just talked about New Zealand, what could be fourteen, twelve, is it, or it's twelve, fourteen at the moment. Yeah. Um, and what are the what are the box box have had this year? They they've how many yeah. tests have they had in total? Yeah, I think we played seven, no, nine, nine. I think. Yeah, yeah. nine. Yeah, not. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, you know what? They've only lost two, two of those, have they? Or three, three, three. One against yeah. New Zealand and two against the Aussies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm, um, I'm glad. So, I'm glad you said you don't know how to calculate it because I was actually going to ask you that question uh, because I read, I read it this this morning and it's it's quite rid- ridiculous as to try and trying to figure it out. But uh, no, it is what it is. But. Mitch, thank you very much for for chatting. Yeah. Uh, we've run out of time, unfortunately. Um, always a pleasure chatting to you, and we'll definitely push on your button again. If you don't mind, it would be great to have you back yeah. in studio. Yeah, no, thanks, guys. Thanks for the uh, the opportunity. Very grateful to be able to share um, share um, you know, what what rugby's uh, where rugby started for me, and and uh, clearly. Uh, Yes, it's uh, it's going to be a great weekend uh, of internationals, and um, it brings a conclusion to the to the to the year, which is um, going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's going to be interesting. Great. John, thank you very much. A privilege listening to you and um, hearing your thoughts. Appreciate. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Cass. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, thank uh, you. John. And uh, yeah, I just want to say in in closing, uh, obviously. I had the privilege to work with with John when he was here in in KZN and UKZN. Um, But John, I need to say this, Mitch, that um, I know your heart is is black and white. Um, But this this weekend, next week, I'll I'll send you a message. But uh, may the box beat the the English this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you, John. I've got the best of both worlds, haven't I? Like, my wife's South <laughs> yeah. African, so... Uh, yeah, you're lucky, yeah. aren't you? Um, <laughs> You've <yeah>. got... Uh, <laughs> Shame. Enjoy. Thanks a lot, Mitch. Keep on. Thanks Thank for you. your time. Keep Cheers. on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 From Touchline, thank you very much for tuning in. From myself, Casper Els, and Mark Cameron, have a great rugby week.